everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Talking Techniques podcast. I'm joined by Andrea Brand at ASCB 2019 in Washington. Andrea is the head of the Gurdon Institute's Welcome Labs, and uh, we're going to discuss her work with neural stem cells and her recent studies into brain cancers. So, Andrea, please can you tell us a little about yourself and the Gurdon Institute? So I'll start with the Gurdon. The Gurdon Institute's a research institute that's part of the University of Cambridge, um, and it was founded by John Gurdon and Ron Lasky about 25 years ago, um, and it's a fantastic place to do research. It's very collaborative, and we get wonderful students and postdocs, so I've been very happy there for, uh, since I started my group. And um, so, uh, as you mentioned, we work on neural stem cells, um, and I'm I have a particular interest in what regulates stem cell proliferation. When do the cells know to proliferate? When do they know to remain dormant? And what are the signaling mechanisms that tell them when to wake up and what to produce in terms of their progeny? Okay, fantastic. And can you tell us a little bit about your presentation uh, at ASCB? So my presentation was uh, entitled Time to Wake Up. uh, awakening stem cells in the brain. And um, what we've been looking at for a few years now is uh, we used Drosophila primarily as a model organism, although we're also working on mouse and more recently uh, doing some work with, with humans as well. Um, and what's very interesting in mammals as well as in Drosophila is that there are stem cells in the adult, but they remain in a mitotically dormant state. In other words, they're not proliferating. And they're in a state called quiescence. And quiescence is very interesting because it means that the cells are not dividing, but they retain the ability to divide under specific circumstances. And in the fruit fly, Drosophila, the circumstances that tell the stem cells in the brain to wake up, um, it's actually nutrition. So when the animals uh, hatch and start feeding, that's their signal for the stem cells to wake up. And the neural stem cells start proliferating and they produce neurons and glia. And they're going to, those cells will then be used to make the adult nervous system. So we've been looking at what the different mechanisms are. Why is it when the animals feed, that's the signal? What are the signals um, to the brain when the animals feed? How does that affect? the brain, um, how do the stem cells respond, and what are the changes at the genome level, which genes get turned on or off, what are the chromatin changes that take place. And can you describe some of the genetic and molecular approaches that you use in your lab and that you combine with advanced imaging techniques? Well, we do a lot of molecular genetics. Uh, Again, Drosophila and now mouse as well are terrific systems for uh, using both um, forward and reverse genetics. And actually, I have quite a history of developing new techniques. Uh, I get frustrated if we can't answer a particular question. And if we have to develop a new technique, that's what we do. And so um, one of the techniques that we've developed, which we keep building on, is a technique called targeted DAM-ID, which uh, we've shortened to TADA. And uh, it's a way of looking at protein binding throughout the genome in living animals without having to disrupt the organism or purify the cells. And so we can look at uh, where transcription factors bind in specific cells throughout the genome, where chromatin proteins bind, and actually uh, more recently we're looking at where long non-coding RNAs interact with the genome. Um, And so this allows us to look 
in stem cells or in the cells that surround the stem cells, which are their niche, to ask what transcriptional changes are taking place, which transcription factors are regulating these changes, where do they bind, what genes do they regulate, um, and overall, what are the chromatin changes. Um, so that's looking at really at the, the genome level, but we also do a lot of uh, imaging, live imaging, as well as uh, on fixed samples. And um, I'm a little bit biased, but the Drosophila brain is absolutely gorgeous, and so that makes it a lot of fun to do, to do imaging. Um, so we do a combination of um, assaying what's going on in the cells, manipulating what's going on in the cells, and then actually imaging to see what changes are taking place uh, at the morphological level as well as at the genome level. And when you're using those techniques, um, are there any pitfalls that you can come across or um, any limitations to the techniques that you've identified? And if so, how do you um, address them or overcome them? Well, the first thing I would say is there is no perfect technique. So if you're designing a technique, be aware right off the start it's not going to do everything. And, and that's fine. And that's why we tend to use a combination of techniques. It's particularly nice if you have two completely different techniques, but you get the same answer using the two. And then that's very reassuring that you've got the right answer. Um, I am an undying optimist. So I'm always saying that if we find a lemon, we make lemonade. So. Um, I, I don't, you know, yes, you're always going to find hurdles that you have to get over, but I think that's half of the joy of doing research is figuring out how to get over that hurdle. And actually the technique, this TADA targeted dam ID approach that we use is unbelievably robust. It's way more robust than I had at first anticipated. Um, and so thankfully, knock on wood, most of the things we've tried have worked. So. Um, yeah, I'm very happy with that. We keep playing with it and tweaking it to do different things. And when you're um, sort of interfacing those, like TADAR, for example, and the other um, molecular and genetic techniques with the advanced imaging, are there any um, steps that you need to, uh, to take to make sure that they interface well, um, or is it quite an easy process? Well, one of the um, so one of the techniques that I developed actually when I was a postdoc is called the GAL4 system, and the GAL4 system allows us to express any gene or any um, RNAi in specific cells or tissues, and we use the GAL4 system to express our targeted DAMID in specific cells or tissues. We can also use the GAL4 system to express marker proteins, so we know that we're always looking at the same cells from one experiment to the next. And that's really how we can align what we're doing with the imaging with what we're doing at the molecular genetic level. We're always looking at specific cells that we've identified. And uh, so moving on to the um, cancer research aspect of it, how do you um, apply these techniques uh, into studying neural stem cells and or tumors that originate from neural stem cells? Yeah, no, I think that's really exciting. And it's actually, it's the other side of the coin of studying quiescence. So quiescence is when the cells don't divide and tumors arise when the cells divide in an uncontrolled fashion. So we're really interested in both aspects. How does the animal maintain homeostasis dividing when it, having the stem cells divide when it needs them to, but not having over-proliferation. Um, and so we can, in order, we can induce tumors either by making genetic mutations or by um, expressing activated forms of proteins. And then we can do lineage analysis to actually trace which cell is the tumor cell of origin.
And that's very, very uh, exciting because certainly in humans, when people have tumors, people are sequencing the tumors, they're usually quite a long way along. Uh, and so trying to figure out which was the originating cell giving rise to that tumor is quite difficult. But in Drosophila, we can actually do that because we can start with a particular cell, induce a mutation just in that cell, and then follow the lineage and see which of the cells in that lineage are responsible for the overproliferation. And that, that's really, really exciting. So we're trying to model some uh, human brain tumors using the fly as a much simpler system. And is the hope that now that you can induce the mutation in the, um, the cell and then track the progression of that tumor, is the hope that you'll be able to reverse engineer that process in, uh, in, human, or in already established, like naturally occurring tumors and then find the, the source mutation? Oh, absolutely. And um, again, coming back to, um, well, coming back to using targeted DAM ID. So one of the models that we have uh, is based on an observation in glioblastoma, that there's a particular gene that, when overexpressed, leads to a, a rather aggressive tumor. And we've overexpressed that same gene in Drosophila, and we get tumors. Then we, and the gene is a transcription factor, so we mapped all the targets of that gene, and we found one target which it represses. So it represses that gene, and we get tumors we reintroduced expression of that gene and it suppressed the tumors. And so, again, we have this way of either turning on the tumors or in some cases turning them off. And because so many of the genes in Drosophila have counterparts in humans, in fact, it's about 75% of human disease causing genes that have mutations which cause human disease are also found in Drosophila. And so I love this idea of being able to go back and forth between what's known in humans to what's known in Drosophila, what's known in mouse, and use the information from as many different systems to try to come to um, an answer. Um, and when you make those discoveries in Drosophila, uh, will your lab also look at then converting that into the, or the translational medicine side of it, converting it into clinical practice? Well, I think there's often quite a few steps in going from uh, the fundamental science in the lab to translation. Um, but it does happen, and sometimes it happens much more rapidly than you might anticipate. Um, so, of course, we're always open to those ideas. One of the things that we are thinking about doing in the lab with these tumor models is to actually take some of the known drugs that are being used to treat patients and see what happens when we feed the, these drugs to the, to the flies. And if those drugs have any effect on the tumors, perhaps suppressing them, we can then use the, the fly as a model to test new drugs, in particular drugs that are already out there and have already been tested and known to be um, safe for human consumption. Um, there's a lot of uh, repurposing of drugs these days, things that have already gone through clinical trials and suddenly find that they work on for other, other things. I mean, one example, which doesn't have to do with brain tumors, is, um, is thalidomide, which of course was off of the shelf for many, many years and then was discovered to be a, a really effective treatment for leprosy. So there are a lot of drugs out there that, about which we could learn more, which might be good treatments for, for different tumors, for example. And um, are there any particular drugs that you're currently testing in, um, in the Drosophila models that you think show promise for um, neural, neural brain tumors? Well, we, these are things that we're just about to start. So um, we have a few in mind, but we haven't yet tested them. So uh, I'm actually looking for new students and postdocs to take on that challenge. <laughs> Fantastic.
Okay, if you needed anything to uh, advance your research or take it to the next step beyond just, say, more funding, um, what would you ask for if you, could, um, if you could ask for anything that would drive your research to the next, next level? What would it be? Um, I love having brilliant students. And, um, yeah, I, I, what I would love to see is for every student, no matter where they come from, to be able to do their PhD without worrying about overseas fees and visas and all the rest of uh, the obstacles to doing science. So, yeah, I think I, I would just love to have more brilliant PhD students. I love my postdocs too, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Um, and where would you where do you see the field of neural stem cell uh, research in the next five years? Well, again, one of the joys of basic science is it's often unpredictable. I mean, I think if you went back a few years, I'm not sure anybody would have uh, thought that we could get induced pluripotent stem cells, but here we are. Um, I don't think people would have predicted organoids necessarily. So, in fact, the field is moving much more quickly than I think. I would have anticipated, even not that, that many years ago. And I think we are getting closer to treatments. What that raises are the ethical implications of using stem cells for human uh, diseases and for regeneration. And um, in some ways, the science has been moving so quickly that the ethical side of it has to catch up. So um, I'm very hopeful that we will be able to use stem cell therapies for a wide range of diseases, uh, maybe not in the next five years, but certainly uh, if I wanted to stick my neck out in the next 10 or 20 years. That's very exciting to hear. Um, and outside of cancer, um, what do you see the applications of your um, research in other disease areas? Um, well, we have a sort of an outlier project in the lab. We're looking at genes, uh, mutations in genes that lead to uh, human obesity. Um, this is a collaboration with Sadaf Faruqi's lab, who's been looking at, um, she's a, a clinical scientist, and they've done some beautiful work on uh, uh, childhood obesity. And um, so we're now using Drosophila to model some of the mutations that they think might be responsible for um, obesity in humans and we're looking for fat flies and we're actually finding some and so we're uh, using the fly as a way of screening for various mutations when because from the human sequence there's a lot of mutations it's not always clear which one is responsible for the disease and I think we can use the fly now to test a whole range of different mutations and say well actually it's this one that seems to be responsible and the others are just variants that don't seem to cause any disease. So that's a, another angle that we're addressing. Fascinating. Um, and so when you were starting out in your career, did you have any um, particular people who inspired you to go into neural stem cell research or was it an organic path for you? Um, I, when I was quite young at school, um, I read The Double Helix and that I became obsessed with DNA. And actually, I have to say, it was Rosalind Franklin I was excited by because here was a woman doing this amazing work. Um, and um, my first research was actually using yeast. Um, so uh, I was a PhD student at the uh, Lab of Molecular Biology in Cambridge studying um, transcription in yeast and identified the first transcriptional silencer. And um, 
I switched to working on the nervous system when I wanted to do something completely different. But what's really ironic is if you look at a yeast budding, it looks very much like a neural stem cell budding off progeny. So maybe it was just the image of the yeast dividing that inspired me to move over to looking at neural stem cells dividing. <laughs> and um, if you had any advice for early career researchers, what would that be? I would say that you have to really enjoy what you're doing. Um, science, scientific research is not easy. Um, experiments don't work most of the time. And so you have to really, really love what you're doing um, because there's going to be a lot more downtime than uptime. But if you love the science and you love doing research, um, then you should definitely go for it. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for speaking to me. Um, we've had some really quite exciting uh, conversations there about the, um, the potential that stem cell research has to go in the next, well, decade. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you very much for speaking to me. Thanks very much. That's all from us here at ASCB for this episode of the Talking Tech News podcast. If you would like to hear more, uh, we have plenty more episodes on our site in the podcast section, and we'll have another episode coming out next month. So join us then. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.